Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder. So we're going to take on oppositional defiance first off. And, and, you know, three decades ago, before our society basically began labeling childhood misbehavior as a medical disorder, a child who was disobedient, Mm -hmm. argumentative, and, and wanted to get their own way all the time was commonly known as a spoiled brat. And then about 1980 oppositional defiant disorder became a diagnosis. And it first appeared in the Manual of Mental Health Disorders used by psychiatrists. That was the DSM-3 at the time. We're on uh, the 5 at this point. And in 1987 edition of the DSM revised it to uh, once to oppositional. It was called oppositional defiant. Now it's called oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. Now, there was an official name of uh, defiant or rule-breaking or argumentative children. Now, now, now there's a medical condition. So this, this 1980 event creates a medical condition that could be treated with medication. You know, parents of difficult children need not feel blame for being overly indulgent or inconsistency in their parenting, but their, their kid – uh, is now considered a medical problem, and uh, progress apparently was being made. But luckily, back in uh, 2010, many parents, doctors, educators were becoming very alarmed by the widespread uh, psychiatric medicating of children in the United States. And so many people raised questions of whether children were being drugged or, or for sound medical reasons or merely Uh, to to line the pockets of the psychologists and the pharmaceutical companies. So in 2008, you know, Senator Charles Grassley began a congressional investigation of conflicts of interest in part of psychiatrists and drug companies. You know, but the most tragic side effect of turning childhood misbehavior into a disorder is often overlooked. Labeling and medicating kids who misbehave not only remove blame for parents, but it also removed the power of the parents to help their kids. So parents turned to doctors and medications for their children instead of seeking solutions within the family. And so a lot of kids got thrown out of school and a lot of problems Mm -hmm. had taken place. Uh, And then they had a label so parents didn't have to feel too guilty about the the misbehavior of their kid. They're, They're also not all powerless to heal their kids. You know, in fact, It's only parents and families that hold the power to truly resolve their children's problems. You know, so what we're going to do in this show is is basically explore other ways in which the children can be treated. Now, I'm not saying that medication might not be a good answer, especially a mood stabilizer for for a child that's starting to move their life into crime. But but you know, oppositional defiant order. What it is is a persistent pattern of negative hostile, defiant, disobedient behaviors towards other people, um, and especially uh, that uh, people of authority. And so, um, whereas conduct disorder, and that's the latter part of the show, is characterized by a persistent pattern of behavior that involves very significant violations of rights of others and major societal norms. So, that's that's like fire setting, that's like uh, uh, fighting, that's like stealing, all kinds of stuff. And we'll go into that a little bit later. 
you know, but the original diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder required that individuals exhibit at least two of five symptoms over the past six months, including violations of minor rules, temper tantrums, argumentativeness, and provocative behavior, stubbornness. And by the way, it is very common for these oppositional defiant kids because they they want attention uh, to do very sexual things or provocative things with other kids. And there's four primary subtypes of a conduct disorder. So we're going back to conduct disorder. And, and, and uh, they, these were proposed on the basis of whether the, the, the kid exhibited aggressive, uh, like assault or rape, or non-aggressive, like lying and stealing conduct problems, and whether they, uh, they, they were socialized, meaning that they had friendships, they, they feel guilt and remorse, or if they're not socialized, they, they have no friendships and they lack guilt or remorse. So, you know, there's two types. There's the type that can socialize and there's the type that can't. But conduct disorder leads to, after 18, if, if it's maintained as a diagnosis, it turns into what's called a antisocial personality, which is a permanent disorder. Maybe they can change in their life, hopefully, it's, but a personality disorder generally is, has become part of who they are as a person. doesn't mean that they'll always stay that way. So here's an overview of oppositional defiant. Let's just begin with oppositional defiant. And by the way, oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder are childhood diagnoses. So all children are oppositional from time to time, particularly when they're tired or they're hungry or they're stressed or they're upset, and they may argue or they talk back or they disobey, defy parents, teachers, other adults. But oppositional defiant behavior is often a normal part of development uh, uh, for two to three-year-olds and early adolescents. However, openly uncooperative, hostile behavior becomes a serious concern when it is so frequent and consistent that it stands out when compared with other children of the same age and development level and when it affects the child's social, family, and academic life. So, you know, children with oppositional defiant disorder have an ongoing pattern of this uncooperative, defiant, hostile behavior towards authority figures, which is usually adults, that seriously interferes with their day-to-day functioning. And so here's some symptoms. Frequent temper tantrums, excessive arguing with adults, often questioning rules, active defiance and refusal to comply with adult requests and rules, deliberate attempts to annoy or upset people. They blame others for their mistakes or misbehavior, and they often uh, uh, they're touchy or easily annoyed by other people. They're, they're very irritable people, uh, children. They have frequent anger and resentment, and they're mean and hateful talking when they're upset, and they're spiteful attitude and revenge-seeking. Uh, the symptoms are usually seen in multiple settings, but may be more noticeable at home or at school. So 1 to 16% of all school-age children and adolescents have oppositional defiance, poor teachers. The causes of it are not known. And, uh, the, you know, it, it also has, uh, rubs up against depression and bipolar disorder and anxiety disorders. And it may be difficult to improve the symptoms without treating the coexisting disorder, which may be depression or anxiety or bipolar which may be feeding into the oppositional defiance. Or oppositional defiance also rubs up against ADHD. Uh, So, uh, you know, uh, ADHD kids often are hyper or they're inattentive 
And the conduct disorder is an aftermath, or excuse me, the oppositional defiance is an aftermath of that because they can't explain why they did what they did. Um, you know, medication could be helpful in controlling uh, these symptoms, especially if it's going to get them thrown out of school or they cannot socialize or they're a danger. You know, always build on the positives with these kind of kids. So give them praise, positive reinforcement when they show flexibility and cooperation because that positiveness is the kind of attention that they're truly looking for. And, and take a time out before you punish. Take a time out before you instantly punish this kind of a kid because you really want to teach. You don't want to discipline out of anger. And these kids are really good at making adults and parents angry. And, and also, you also want to set a reasonable age-appropriate limits with consequences that can be enforced very consistently. And you also want to maintain interests other than your child with oppositional defiance so that managing your child doesn't take all your time and energy. That means you got to get away from them, and that's seeking help, and that's getting someone else to be with them so that you can get a break because these dudes suck the life out of you. They, are, they can take a lot of energy out of any parent or any teacher or anybody that has to interact with these kind of kids. You know, many children with uh, oppositional defiance will respond to positive parenting techniques. So, pay, you know, and the reason you want to get in front of oppositional defiance is because you do not want it to graduate to conduct disorder, which starts, which starts to lead them into uh, more of uh, uh, antisocial behavior, more criminal violence, uh, more problems that are going to get them in jail. Juvenile halls full of these kind of kids, and that's what you want to get away from. You know, oppositional defiant disorder is thought to be caused by a combination of, of biological, psychological, and social factors. And it tends to occur in families with a history of attention uh, deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, substance abuse disorders, or mood disorders such as depression or bipolar disorder. You know, brain imaging studies have suggested that children with ODD may have subtle differences in the part of the brain responsible for reasoning, judgment, and impulse control. And also psychological studies have demonstrated that children who display aggressive behavior have trouble accurately identifying and interpreting social cues from their peers. And, and specifically, aggressive children uh, tend to see uh, hostile intent in uh, neutral situations. They also generate fewer solutions to problems and expect to be rewarded for their aggressive responses. So a lack of structure or parenting supervision, inconsistent discipline practices, exposure to abuse, community violence, They've also identified as factors which contribute to the development of oppositional defiant disorder. So there's no sure proven cause, but there are a lot of theories that can help identify potential causes. One theory suggests that oppositional defiant disorder can begin to develop when children are toddlers because children and adolescents with ODD show behaviors fairly typical of toddlers. And so the theory also suggests that the child or the adolescence is struggling to become independent from their parental and or authority figures they were emotionally attached to. So it's also possible that oppositional defiant develops as a result of learned behaviors, you know, reflecting the negative reinforced methods, methods of some authority figures and parents use. And this this is especially true if the child uses bad behavior to get attention. You know, in other cases, the child might adopt negative behaviors from a parent. So, you know, there's other possible causes also. Certain uh, personality traits like being strong will 
or a lack of a positive attachment to a parent or significant stress or uh, unpredictability in their home life. Structure has a lot of contribution to healing this kind of a problem. If a kid in an oppositional defiant life has an unstructured home or an unstructured teacher, uh, they are more likely to rebel because they have more ways to prove that the other person is not uh, the adult. They want to be the adult. And so uh, also genetics, you know, their natural disposition or temperament and is, is possibly a big contributor. Also the environment with, with problems with parenting that may involve a lack of supervision or inconsistent or harsh discipline or abuse or neglect, especially abuse and neglect. Those are big contributors to oppositional defiant. Also, their temperament. If they have a temperament that includes uh, the difficulty regulating their emotions, such as being highly emotionally reactive to situations or having trouble tolerating frustration, that temperament may take them down into this disorder. Also, parenting issues, and this is a big one. You know, a child who experiences abuse or neglect, harsh or inconsistent discipline or a lack of parental supervision, they are likely going to have ODD features. You know, there could be other family issues also. You know, if they live with a, a parent or family discord or, you know, if the parents are divorcing and they're not handling it and they're putting the kid in the middle, you're going to see some of this ODD behavior. You know, or it, it also parents that raise children that have the, where the parent has a mental health or substance abuse disorder. These are big contributors. But usually there's a secondary diagnosis with ODD kids. They, they, they may have trouble at home with their parents or siblings, and they are in school with teachers or with supervisors or authority figures, and they may struggle to keep friends and relationships. So, so um, the problems that come out of ODD is poor school and work performance, antisocial behavior, uh, impulse control problems, substance abuse, suicide, and many kids with ODD have other mental conditions such as uh, ADHD, depression, anxiety, conduct disorder, learning and communication disorders, and also treating these other mental health conditions may help improve the ODD symptoms. And it may be difficult to treat uh, ODD if the other conditions aren't treated. And so it is uh, something where you as a parent need to get help. You know, uh, it, sometimes oppositional defiant, though it is a childhood di- uh, diagnosis, may appear as anger problem in an adult. So, uh, you know, t- typical signs that an adult was an ODD child is uh, negativity, drug and alcohol abuse, fighting, self-destructive behavior, engaging in criminal acts such as shoplifting. And although, you know, the oppositional defiant disorder is primarily with children, as I said, the symptoms can persist past childhood and it can involve and evolve into a conduct disorder and once again into antisocial. So, you know, can, kids can act out for many reasons and perhaps to draw attention to a problem in the family, that might be why they do it, or children and, and adolescents change and they grow in very drastic ways. So, the behavior suggests problems don't necessarily point out a personality disorder. So, many, and that's because they've gotten it more from an environmental factor. 
you know, and, and according to many psychologists, some adults are, are are difficult by temperament. And this does not mean that they have a personality disorder. They can just still be reasoned with and, and not go against social norms. But oppositional disorder in adults does not allow for this, nor do uh, antisocial personality conduct disorders, disorders. They are core into that behavior, and that is a personality disorder. You know, if you are a teacher... And you have to deal with an ODD child. You know, first of all, you want to avoid power struggles. Most of, um, you know, stay out of those winless power struggles. Pick your battles. You know, a student that corrects you all the time, whether you're right or wrong, answer back, okay, let's double check that. I made a mistake. I correct it. We move on. And if they're wrong, I silently let them figure it out. You know, that's, that's a good way to go about it. You know, often children with ODD need a safe place to go for a five-minute break when they notice themselves getting overwhelmed and ready to challenge. You know, put out books, coloring things, Lego blocks in a place where they can go to their own space and take a little break. And often, immediately after these activities, with a lot of stimulation, these kids will, will come back to the safe place, calm down, and then they will decide when it is ready to uh, be a part of the bigger group. And also, uh, another thing if you teach uh, kids with ODD, which all teachers do, is you want to give them choices. You always give choices. And then you, you state your choices and then you walk away. You give the student the time to process and decide which one of those to make. You know, it, it pays to stay consistent in your classroom rules and discipline. After I give you choices, I always, you know, you always want to reinforce the classroom rules and procedures and follow up with an appropriate consequence. And uh, also, offer rewards, appropriate ones. When, when, when you use a reward system, make sure that it is appropriate and isn't perceived as manipulation. You know, you want to use something that they, a commodity that they look for. You know, sometimes kids want to have an electronics day. That is really powerful for them to have an electronics day, to be able to bring their iPad or whatever to, to, to school to play their games for maybe a little part of the day. Well, it's not a bad idea to use something like that as a commodity. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more to teachers, and then we're going to teach you how to say no to an oppositional defiant child. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Look 
been inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder a little bit later on. But oppositional defiant is what we're working on at this moment. You know, if you're a teacher of a kid with oppositional defiance, um, you have to understand that often these kids with ODD are looking for a relationship with a teacher who can help them deal with their problems on their own instead of making them stand out in a negative way. So building a connection with them will help get to the root of the behavior and help them uh, weigh their, their, their instinct or their intuition or their impulse to uh, uh, defy your authority. And if you can develop a valued relationship with a child like this, you can actually do a lot to stop this particular development of this disorder. You know, many parents of children with oppositional defiant feel hopeless and they feel alone. So do the teachers. And they live in homes that become like prisons as they deal with these kind of kids who are absolutely out of control and unmanageable. And they don't like their child anymore, even though they still love them. They just don't like them, and they're confused about why nothing works. And they, they often, when I see these parents, they tell, tell me they feel isolated, they feel lonely, because they can't socialize with other families due to their kids' behavior. And certain things like sleepovers, days at the beach, or parties, all of those activities become affected by this kind of a kid. And, and it's not surprising that these families have a harder time in general and often wind up emotionally, spiritually, and functionally bankrupt. Many times, one parent will bail on the other and get a divorce just because they cannot deal with the child. Um, and, uh, you know, other siblings also grow up in an atmosphere of imitation, in, in, um, uh, where they're intimidated or they're frustrated because they're having to deal with this kid too. And uh, oftentimes the rest of them are good kids and then there's the monster, you know. So, you know, attempts to to just get the uh, oppositionality to stop is well-intentioned, but it's often met with frustration and failure. And so it's kind of like a gauntlet, guys. You you have to be consistent day after day after day to, to trim this behavior down. You know, no... You know, saying no triggers an, an explosion. Why? 
Well, nobody likes the word no, especially children and adolescents. No means disappointment. No means not getting what you want. And that's very frustrating and it's disappointing for everyone. But most children learn to deal with somewhere around the age of two or three. And when their personality actually forms over time, they develop the ability to balance their inner wants and needs with outside expectations and responsibility. But for kids with oppositional defiant disorder, the message they internalizes, I'm not in control, bad things happen. When bad things happen around me, the only way I can survive is by being in control. And so they react to the word no with yelling, with threats, with punching, uh, hurting uh, the other siblings, and more chaos and inconsistency they perceive in their lives, the more they feel they need to stay in control. And you have to understand this is how they want to control the situation is through temper tantrums. And for many of these kids, oppositionality and defiance become a way of reacting to authority. So every day brings a new fight as you try to exercise your authority. Whereas many children learn to accept that they can't be in control all the time. So here's the here's deal. If you're going to tell an oppositional defiant kid or any kid or any person, no, you have to take the energy out of it. Because if they read that it's hard for you to say no, so for instance, if I said no or no, 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 or you know, I, I, I had a lot of effort in that no, what's going to happen is they take that as there's a yes in there because it's very hard for you to say no. And so they'll go after you and go after you and ask you and ask you in 50 different ways because they want to get to a yes. And so if you want to say no, just be flat and straight. No. They go, but, 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 no means no. Very simple. Very simple. So, you know, there's three ways to de-escalate oppositional defiant behavior that I'm going to bring out here. You know, no is a powerful word, and all children have to learn how to deal with it, and children with ODD are no different. But they are they, they there are things that parents can do or teachers to avoid escape from an explosive behavior or redirect their child's behavior. So... Remember these words, avoid or escape or redirect, okay? So avoid conflict. One of the ways to avoid conflict is by having a written structure posted someplace where everyone can see it, like on your refrigerator, for example. This is a a, a schedule that would look something like the following, you know, uh, they have a they have a, a habit. They have a structure set up. Okay, we eat breakfast. This is a chore that needs to get done. Get your clothes on. Brush your teeth. And this is what you're gonna. This is uh, when you go to school. You know, after that, you know, after they get back from school, maybe they have some break time, and then they do a few more chores, and then they have free time, and and then they have a structure in the evening about when they take a bath when they brush your teeth when they after dinner and uh, do all the things that they have to do to go to bed and then time to go to bed you know setting that structure is very important for them so they know what's happening that makes them feel in control of their life and they're not out trying to get things their way they are chilling out and they're following a schedule that you've prescribed to them but they end up owning you also want to escape from fright from from, from uh, fights you know, if you're uh, if you want to escape, you call a timeout and you say, "When you can talk to me like this, at a nice tone, just like I'm talking, I'm going to listen to you." But if you want to keep doing this, you need to go to your room and figure it out. I'm going to give you ten minutes to figure out how you can talk to me like an adult. 
And, it, and so you have to be consistent about calling them out and basically redirecting them about how they need to treat you. And if they can't get that message, then you take you start to take things away. And you take away their commodities until they begin to listen. And you want to give them a chance to recover. You know, if you can start talking to me like this, you can have this, okay? So if you want to apologize and you want to have your phone back or whatever it is, then what you need to do is apologize and confront me as an adult with what you really want. And that's basically one of the best ways to get them to understand how to be an adult. And uh, you don't want to throw fuel on the fire. You know, if you're going to get in a fight with them and they escalate and you escalate, what you're doing is you're just going into a power struggle. So you want to stay flat and straight and assertive, flat and straight in your tone, not a lot of body language, and just keep it Keep it there and keep it back and keep inviting them to have the same energy as you have. So what you're doing is you're modeling how they need to be talking if you're going to listen. Because you want to listen, but you want to listen to somebody that is rational. And so you want to make sure that you're not biting in on the behavior because if you do that, they can point a finger at you and say, you're the one with the problem, not me. And so as a parent, you really, really don't want to go there. You know, why do we fight our kid for control? You know, uh, a pressure from society? You know, let's face it. Our our society puts two competing messages out there. On one hand, there's a high value placed on individuality, standing out from the crowd. And then uh, also there is the idea of keep it to yourself. You you know, keep, keep your hands to yourself. Keep your mouth to yourself. You don't need to do that. And when you have... A, 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 a oppositional defiant kid, it's embarrassing as hell. And so a lot of people feel that pressure from society. Therefore, they resent their child and they're angry at themselves because they have not done a good job in their mind parenting the child. Also, you know, we fight our child for control out of fear because we're often terrified of what will happen if we don't control our kids. You know, what, what, if, what if they take that path less traveled and they go down the wrong path? What would happen to your child? Well, rather than thinking of your child as, uh, as learning life lessons, the same ones we did, we believe they surely will meet with disasters. So we don't want to get out in front of these kids. We want them to own their own consequences. If they're going to be bad and they're out there in society and they're going to do bad things, they're also going to have to own their bad behavior. And that is the way you teach them. You know, to win a tug of war with a kid, you know, we find ourselves in a dispute with the kid. And before we know it, we're in a full-blown battle of wills that will become determined uh, uh, in a winning type of situation, a winning and losing. And it's not something we recognize consciously, but underneath our own actions is the belief that to let go of control is to give in to your child. What's not and that's not what's going to happen. We continue to act in effort to gain control over our child's behavior, but we don't do it the same way they're doing it. You have to do it differently. That means you have to stay calm, folks. You got to stay calm and you really don't want to bite into the idea that I'm turning my kid into a monster or they're going to be a monster. Just deal in the moment you're in. Don't deal with the projection the projection of what's going to happen. Don't deal with the past. Don't throw everything at them. And here's another thing. When you're communicating to an oppositional defiant child, what you really want to do is not go after why they did something. We don't want to attack the bad thing they did. What we do want to attack is 
what uh, or how did they decide to do what they did? Because that makes them think about what they've done. And, uh, and that's a very important thing. They need to understand that they have to take responsibility for their actions. And therefore, if you ask them a what or a how question, what you're going to get is a kid thinking about intentions. They're also hearing the idea that you want to forgive them. And so that kind of a language, what did you, what were you thinking? How did you decide to do this? That means you're looking at process, not outcomes. You're not judging. You're actually listening. You're actually trying to understand and you're tra- actually trying to buy into correcting them in a, a more adult, civil, safe way. You know, it's human nature. You know, take take a day, play attention. You know, you you pay attention to the idea of control as it relates to yourself and those around you. You want to listen to conversations and how do you advise people? You know, on courses of action they should take that you don't know. You need to use that same technique for your child that's respectful, not one of authority. If you're going to correct an oppositional defiant child using authority, you're oftentimes playing the game that they're playing and that is the game that they're best at and therefore you're feeding that activity in their mind. You know, also you you need to give up the need to control, you know, it doesn't mean you're giving in. Uh, You know, once you try to control your child's behavior and choices, we actually gain a lot of power in our mind, but fighting every day with someone whose main purpose is to, vo- to avoid being controlled is going to leave you feeling disheartened and exhausted and angry and frustrated and embarrassed and ashamed. So you want to be putting energy into what you can control, which leaves you feeling empowered. And what you can control is your own emotions. You know, let's look at uh, five things that you can or can't control as a parent. You can control whether or not your child knows what your expectations are. So, uh, son, my expectation is that you will handle your anger without physical violence. You can control whether or not you've given your child opportunities to meet the expectation. You know, daughter, if you find you're getting angry, it's okay to walk away. Go listen to some music, talk to your friend on the phone, blow off steam, whatever will help you release some of that anger. And then we can talk later on. You know, you also want to be able to state preferences, preferences, not expectations. I prefer that you wouldn't talk to me like this, but you do. I prefer I didn't have to consequent you, but I do. And I don't want to have to do that, but it's not in my control. It's only in your control. You know, you want to control your own behavior. When you get angry, you can model for your child how to cope effectively without using physical violence. You can walk away or practice effective coping skills that models to them how you want them to do it. Now, what you can't control is your child's behavior. You can't control whether or not they behave in a physically aggressive way when they're angry. Your power does not lie in arguing, defending, or power struggles that tend to go hand-in-hand with attempts to control an ODD child. Instead, your power lies in what you can control, which is your own behavior. Just as you can't control your child, they can't control you either. Some days it may feel that they can, and that's, once again, the main goal of an oppositional defiant child. So, you know, set up expectations ahead of time, set up preferences, and allow your child to earn privileges for those expectations. And this is much more effective for encouraging compliance than pushing your child or taking away privileges when they don't do what you want them to do. Also, you want to let the kid have a say in what they want to work for. 
allow children to earn privileges and put the ball in their court. They know what is expected. They know what they have to do to earn the things they enjoy. And they also feel a sense of pride when they earn what they work for. And when your child starts getting off track, remind them of what, what they're working towards rather than telling them what you will take away. Remember, you're working towards getting your phone back. Let's not go there, you know. Research shows that children and adolescents are more likely to do what is expected when they have the power to earn something than being threatened that you're going to take something from them. And so that is an important aspect. You know, you also want to use transition warnings to let your child know what's coming next. You know, here's an example. Like in 10 minutes, it's time to turn off your video games and come eat dinner. After this show, it is time for homework. So you want to give them a, a wind down, a transition, so that you project ahead, so they know what's in, what's the next step. You also need to use empathetic statements to show your child that you understand how they feel. Imagine how you'd feel if someone came to your room and said, get off the computer and go to bed. Although they are kids, they are expected to follow adults' rules, and they still have the same feelings you would have in that type of situation. So you can show them that you understand how they feel with a statement such as, I know you're really enjoying your computer time, and you don't want to turn it off, but you need to get rest for school tomorrow. You can have some time on the computer again tomorrow. You also want to like phrase directives and the positive, and then remove the word can. For example, instead of stop, jumping on the furniture, can you stop jumping on the furniture? Try something like, uh, you know, come on off the couch in a calm but confident voice. And if possible, you want to provide an alternative activity to redirect them through something uh, that they could do. So, you know, let's try to do some jumping jacks later on. Or, uh, you know, here's some puzzles and blocks to play with. You know, children respond better when you tell them what to do rather than what not to do. You also want to use specific phrase like when your child follows your expectations or listens to your directives. You know, here's an example. Excellent job picking up your toys. You were so focused during homework tonight. Nice job listening to directions. You know, specific phrase or acknowledgement of healthy behaviors reminds them of behaviors that you're actually looking for. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into conduct disorder. Come back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Empowerment. 
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about oppositional defiance, and now we're moving into conduct disorder. But I just want to finish a point on oppositional defiance, which is the largest population that we're dealing with in this program. Uh, Oppositional defiance really holds well to contracts because then they know what they're going to lose, and they know what behaviors are going to get them to lose uh, things. And when you outline what they're going to lose and what behaviors that you're trying to stop, like if they're raising their voice with you, if they're not doing their chores, if they're not showing up to school on time, if their grades are below a certain level. By doing that, and by the way, the internet is full of behavior contracts, so you could go out there and print one and literally use what someone else has already developed. Those contracts, if you stick them on the fridge, that means that they own, and you don't have to negotiate anymore with them. You don't have to fight with them. You just basically implement the consequences in the behavior contract. And make sure that both of you sign that. Now, we're going to talk about conduct disorder because this is a callous disregard for and aggression towards other people of all kinds, children, adults, from pushing to hitting to biting in early childhood and then later on in adolescence to bullying to cruelty, and that includes to animals, and also violence uh, in adolescence and, and you know, you've got all kinds of signs and symptoms with conduct disorder. It is a very severe condition. And it's, it's once again, as we talked about earlier, it's, it's hostile, sometimes physically violent behavior and a disregard for other people. These are cruel kids. And they are uh, pushing when they're young. They do a lot of pushing and hitting and biting. And then they, then they do the teasing. Then they do the bullying. They usually are hurting animals, picking fights, stealing things, uh, vandalizing things, arson. And uh, both of these disorders, by the way, uh, both in childhood and adolescence of this particular disorder develops into an adult antisocial behavior. So Juvenile Hall is full of conduct disorder kids. One of the hallmarks of conduct disorder is a seemingly basic disregard for societal norms and the rights and the feelings and the personal space of other people. And and children and adolescents with conduct disorder seem to get a rise out of causing harm. And for them, aggression and deceit and coercion, behaviors that result in a power differential, are very gratifying for them. Picking fights, trespassing, lying, cheating, stealing, vandalism, emotional or physical abusive behavior. Into, you know, they, then they move on into wielding uh, weapons and forcing sex. And all of these are signs that an older child may have uh, conduct disorder. And signs of the disorder in younger children may be harder to discern but they're uh, usually uh, the early signs is a relentless bullying and lying for the sake of lying and stealing items with, with no apparent worth. You know, p- parents with a biological or adoptive parent uh, and a sibling with a conduct disorder are more likely to develop the disorder. So if a child has a parent that had the disorder, they're likely going to have it too. 
And, and they're uh, kids whose biological parents have ADHD or alcohol use disorder or depression or bipolar or schizophrenia are also at risk for being uh, conduct disorder kids. And, and so, you know, kids that experience abuse or parental rejection or neglect or harsh or inconsistent parenting are more at risk and those are exposed to neighborhood violence or peer rejection or peer delinquency also oftentimes move on into conduct disorder. So if you're raised in East LA or raised in difficult parts of New York, uh, chances are you're going to have a conduct disorder because of the environment that you're growing up in is so violent. You know, it, it, it is, uh, let's just break it out. It's aggression to people and animals. This is the symptoms. Often bullies, they threaten, they intimidate. Now, that's what we've talked about earlier. They often initiate fight, uh, physical fights. They've uh, used a weapon that can cause serious problems. This is the diagnosis itself from the uh, DSM-5, uh, Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health. Uh, physical cruel to people or they're cruel to animals. They steal uh, while confronting a victim like a mugging or a purse snatching or extortion or armed robbery. Uh, they usually have forced someone into sexual activity, uh, destruction of property, such as – now, you don't have to have all these to have conduct disorder, you, but you do have to have a history of doing it over a six-month period, and you only need uh, basically three to five of these particular behaviors to, to label a person of conduct disorder. And medication, yes, these folks need mood stabilizers to keep themselves out of trouble. They also do uh, destruction of property, and they're deliberately engaged in fire setting with the intention of causing damage. And they're deliberately destroying other people's property. And they also are deceitful, and, and uh, they, they have no problem breaking into houses, cars, or buildings. And they often lie to obtain goods or favors uh, to avoid uh, obligations. And they also uh, often uh, steal non-trivial valuable objects without confronting a victim, like shoplifting. And they also uh, have serious violations of rules. They often stay out late at night and, despite uh, personal uh, prohibitions, begin this before the age of 13. They also run away from home overnight at least twice while living in a parental or parental surrogate home. And they often are truant from school beginning at age before age 13. They also usually have a disturbance in behavior that causes very significant impact on their social, academic, and occupational functioning. And if they're older than that, then they become... A, uh, once again, an antisocial personality. So there is a childhood onset, which is early childhood, and then there's an adolescent onset. Usually, the adolescent onset is the one that is environmental rather than biological in its roots. So if you're going to teach uh, conduct disorder, first of all, most of the times, they're in some kind of a restricted classroom or school. And they, they once again, they, they want to do power struggles. So you know, here's some instructional strat strategies. Avoid infantile materials to teach basic skills. You know, materials should be age-appropriate, positive, and relevant to their lives. Avoid escalating uh, prompts such as shouting or touching or nagging or cornering the student. 
You also want to be aware that adults can unconsciously form a behavioral express negative uh, impressions of low-performing and uh, uncooperative kids. So you want to try to monitor your impressions. Keep them as neutral as possible. Communicate a positive regard for them and give them the benefit of doubt whenever you possibly can. You also, if you're going to teach somebody with a conduct disorder, you want to consider the use of technology. You know, children with conduct disorder tend to work well on computers with with active programs. And also, you want to establish very clear rules with them. Rules should be few, but they need to be fair. They need to be clear. They need to be displayed, and they need to be taught consistently, and they need to be enforced consistently. So you want to be clear about what is non-negotiable. And you also want to have... The children participate in the establishment of these rules and routines and schedules and expectations. And you also want to make sure the curriculum is age appropriate. And so when uh, work is too hard, children become frustrated. When it's too easy, they become bored. Boredom leads to lots of negative things with a conduct disorder because they're going to fill that time with something that they want to control. And if you give them a permission to do that, they're going to look at their ability to do that as the way to do that because you didn't establish the structure. Remember that praise is important and it needs to be sincere. And and children with conduct disorder often do well in programs that allow them to work outside the school setting. Um, You know, you want to teach social skills, including anger management, conflict resolution, and how to be assertive. These are things that if you have the chance to teach in a classroom can help a child. You know, uh, notorious killers, serial killers, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer would certainly have been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. You know, but this disorder is marked by a profound lack of empathy and an absence and remorse of social and moral wrongdoings. And it it, it is a lifelong pattern once it's an antisocial personality. They never, ever move away from that behavior sometimes Sometimes they have an epiphany. Sometimes they have a moment of clarity, and they do change. But usually some of those behaviors linger in them. So, you know, numerous research has concluded that that, uh, complex interaction and a combination of factors also leads to risk of violent behavior in children and adolescents. Number one, it could be a brain injury. You know, there might be a brain injury in a child if they were uh, uh, um, if they were hit or if they fell or if they fell off a swing. Something could happen that could hurt their brain. And, and so getting an MRI sometimes is a good idea to see if, hey, is there some kind of thing going on medically that's causing this kind of behavior? Also, uh, being the victim of physical abuse and sexual abuse often rides into a conduct disorder. Uh, also, if they've been exposed to violence in the home or the community where it's supposed to be safe, oftentimes you'll see conduct disorder is the way that they are trying to cope with that because they want to control their situations. You know, exposure to violence in the media, like TV, movies, uh, video games, that can also lead to conduct disorder because it just feeds their behavior as if it's permission. Uh, drugs and alcohol often lead to con- or are a part of conduct disorder. Um, boy, I tell you, if there's presence of firearms in a home, where they can get to them, not a good idea. That That is also something where they're seeing that as a chance to get, gain control and they're going to gravitate towards that firearm. You know, uh, also, 
you know, you can have lots of medical risks going back to if there is a head injury, there could be intense anger, a loss of their temper, you know, even if they were hurt and let's say a traffic accident where they're sitting in the back seat, that can cause some of this behavior. So don't necessarily believe that they've got this disorder because they've chose it. Or it could be just the fact that that is how they're dealing with a medical problem. And and that should be your first line of defense to figure out if there really is something wrong with them. You know, can anything prevent violent behavior in kids? You know, research has shown that a whole lot of violent behavior can be decreased or even prevented if if the risk factors are, are brought down. You know, to lessen and prevent violent behavior, prevention of child abuse, no child abuse. If you can have effective discipline, also sex education and parenting programs for adolescents can help you. Also, early identification and intervention programs for violent young people. Also, therapy, guys. Use it. If you have mental health as a part of your insurance, use it. If you're dealing with, you don't want this kid to grow up and become uh, oppositional defiant behavior or conduct disorder. That's the last thing you want in your life. You know, uh, there's also adolescent transitions programs. Many of these kids that have conduct disorder, uh, to prevent them from going back to a life of crime, uh, they end up in foster care and group homes because the home that they have is not structured enough to deal with them. And, uh, you know, but we want to also understand that child abuse uh, and and sex or rape or, or inappropriate boundaries at home are only going to give them permission to do childish bad things. You know, uh, you also want to monitor uh, your child's viewing of violence during their, their their screen time on the internet, on their tablets, on their smartphones, on their video games, on their movies, on their TV. Because if they're overexposed to that violent behavior, what you're going to find is that they're going to integrate that into themselves. You know, what you really want to have them do is is find friends that they can play on the video games with that are safe and are constructive. And, and you know, games about economies or building a, a city, or building an, a, a world, you know, that takes responsibility. And when you do those kind of video games, that teaches them to become adults. It gives them some adult tools. And also, if they have to do social interaction with other kids on building things like cities and worlds and all kinds of places like that, what you're going to find is that they're, they're going to learn those skills that they need uh, to become an adult, but they're also going to learn social skills. It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing if they learn that through a video game, if they actually make friends with kids that are all over the world and learn about how they live and expose themselves to life. You know, but the biggest thing is to prevent oppositional defiance and conduct disorder is making sure that the parent-child relationship is empathetic and it is strong and it is good and it is caring and it is loving, but it is hard. It is hard meaning that you've set hard rules and you follow them. Be consistent. That's the biggest thing you can do to give yourself that gift. All right, that's our show. Our next show is Cult Think. We're going to talk about cults. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, sometimes you want to tell your children, I will slap you so hard that even Google won't find you. Also, if you really want to slap someone, do it and say, Mosquito, thanks for listening. 
That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.